Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. One of the most terrible and poisonous of all human toxins, toxins that flow out of a life and and corrupt it with bitterness and anger is the toxin of unforgiveness. And yet, God has given us a wonderful cure for that toxic poison. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Usually on The Leader's Notebook, frequently anyway, we deal with leadership issues, hiring, firing, how to construct your staff, things like that. Sometimes we deal with relationship issues, how to deal with marriage and some of the challenges of marriage. Sometimes we deal with straight-out faith issues, as we did at Christmas. What about the the miracle of the incarnation? Sometimes we deal with issues of relationship, and I want to talk to you about the relational issues that can arise out of a life wounded on the inside. Emotional wounding. Damaged emotions cause more damage in a life than we can imagine. I believe, and I've written an entire book about it. I want to talk to you about this book, Courage to be Healed. I believe that the variable in who gets healed from emotional damage is not nearly faith. Faith may be a variable, but it's not the variable. I believe now after 50 years in the ministry and doing counseling and working with people who have experienced emotional damage, I now believe that the number one variable in who gets healed of that inner damage is courage. The courage to face what is the issue, to step out of the realm of denial, to bring the monster up out from under the floorboards, face it, deal with it. But that doesn't always take faith. What it takes is courage. You you spend your whole life denying or fighting off dealing with something and then when it becomes so toxic that it flows out into every part of your relationships, facing it, facing that, that you've been denying and hiding behind the curtain takes courage. Hence the title of this book, Courage to be Healed. I'm thrilled with the response to this book. The subtitle of the book is Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. And I am delighted with the people that have found hope in this book. The response to it has been tremendous. And the response to this whole series on The Leader's Notebook has been great. I'm I'm grateful for that. At the end of this podcast, you're going to hear how to get this book for yourself and how to get it for those that you think of. When you hear these teachings, you say, oh, I I wish my brother-in-law would read that. I wish my employees would read this. And they'll, they'll tell you at the end of this podcast how to get this book for yourself and for others that you care about. Now, we've been talking about the five major toxins that poison lives and the healing that can happen to tear those toxins and their thrones down. I'm not going to deal with that graph again, but I'm just going to say that the five toxins are these, shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. Last week, we talked about shame and the throne of deception and the therapy of truth and the goal of integration. I hope if you did not get last week's podcast, I hope you will All these are archived. I hope you'll listen to the whole series, and then that will motivate you to get this book 
for yourself and others. On today's episode, I want to deal with the second toxin, and that is unforgiveness. And the throne out of which it flows, and the therapy that tears that throne down, and the emotional goal, where God wants us to land when we come out of unforgiveness. So let me tell you about a man with whom I counseled. Let's call him Devin. He was a rancher, had been a rancher in Texas. He had a huge ranch. It had been carved out of the prairie by his uh, ancestors. They had fought for it and dug it out and built it. And Devin had inherited it and very gratefully tended it and cared for it. He told me that one of the most wonderful days of his life was when he brought his wife, his new bride, home to share his life on the ranch. He said one of the most glorious days he had ever known. As he drove her around the ranch, they experienced together the wonderful cattle kingdom, if you will, that his ancestors had built. Then the marriage went south and finally ended in divorce. Then came the judge's order that the ranch must be sold and the money divided between Devon and his now ex-wife. Okay, that, that meant that he, he was going to lose the ranch that he had inherited from his family, a family cattle dynasty, if you will. It got worse. Who bought the ranch was his ex-wife's lawyer. So he said now... He had to move into an apartment in Dallas, and the ex-wife and her lawyer lived at the ranch that he felt they had stolen from his family. Devin hated his wife and hated that lawyer. Let me just say, I, I don't know how to say the word hate as bitterly as Devin felt it. I don't know that I've ever encountered a man whose hate was as bitter as Devon's. He hated her lawyer lover with whom she had been involved in an adulterous affair, whom she later married, with whom she lived at the ranch. He hated his ex-wife. He hated her lover. He hated her lawyer. He hated the judge. He hated the, the ramshackle townhouse in which he now lived. He hated the whole reality of what had happened to his life. He was consumed with hate. Now, what we have to deal with in that situation is that there's no way to convince him that what happened to him was okay. You can't just say, oh, no, no, that kind of thing happens. It can't be just blown away. You have to deal with the fact it was wrong. Life, life is filled with things that go wrong, and this was wrong. He said, I should still be living in that ranch. Okay, yes, you should. My wife's lawyer shouldn't have stolen that ranch from me. Okay, he shouldn't have. My wife shouldn't have had an affair with her lawyer. No, she shouldn't have. You just have to deal with reality in those things. You cannot get healed by denying that what happened was wrong. What happened was wrong. It was bad. It was sad. It was terrible. I hate it. I hate it with you. Now, are we going to allow it to destroy you? That's what has to happen. Where is the toxin of unforgiveness anchored? What holds it in place in life? It may surprise you. It is 
an inflated sense of judgment that this ought to be a just universe. The bad people ought to get punished. The good people ought to get rewarded. Things ought not to go wrong. Corrupt politicians ought not to get elected. Evil businessmen ought not to get rich. The bad people should get punished and the good people should get rewarded. When life gets anchored in that worldview, then when things go wrong, when the wicked seem to win, when we say, like King David did, I've seen the wicked spreading themselves like a green bay tree, then the world and therefore, by extrapolation, God seems unjust. The world ought to work. It's rooted in legalism and a legalism about the universe. So I'm going to tell you something about legalism that you may never have thought of. So stay with me for a moment. When Christians, particularly church people, think about legalism, they think about clothesline holiness. How short can a woman's skirt be? How long can a man's hair be? What kind of clothes can they wear? Where can they go? What can they eat or drink? All of that kind of legalism. But that is symptomatic legalism. It's not philosophical legalism. Here's legalism. Legalism is a reductionist philosophy of life that makes the entire universe run by a set of if-then propositions. If this, then this. And for the legalist, these laws, these rules, cannot be things that work a lot or often or frequently. They have to be immutable laws. These things either work all the time, every time, or the universe itself is unjust. So I'll give you an example. Here's a passage of scripture. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is grown, he will not depart. It's a wonderful promise. It's a, it's a passage of scripture that Christians, particularly Christian parents, love and, and devote themselves to. I want to raise my child up in the way that he should go hoping and believing that as he grows, he will not depart from it. So I heard a a very legalistic family teacher say this, and this was a quote. He said, you show me what's wrong with your teenager, and I'll tell you what you did wrong as a parent. Now, that is working backward on the if-then proposition. This has happened, therefore I know what you did. You can be legalistic about anything. You could be legalistic about uh, health food. If you only eat uh, bean sprouts and free-range tofu, then you'll never get cancer. But if you do get cancer, then the health food legalist says the law can't be wrong. The rule has to work. It has to work every time. So therefore, if you have cancer, it means that you didn't follow the rules. Somewhere or another, you snuck into a Burger King. We know you did because you have cancer and the rule can't be wrong. So they only see laws as immutable. So go back to the biblical promise. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he has grown, he will not depart. If you impose that on parents, show me what's wrong with your teenager, and I'll show you what you did wrong as a parent, you deny one great biblical reality, and that is free moral agency. Everyone, no matter how they're raised, has the right to their own sins. 
So if you are to blame for your teenager's sins, then let me ask you this. God raised Adam in the Garden of Eden. God raised him up. God taught him, don't do this, do that. God raised him in a sinless environment, and Adam still sinned. Is God to blame for Adam's sin? That's blasphemy. So if God raised Adam and he sinned, I know you're a good parent. You're a good dad. You're a good mom. I know you've done the best you can, and your house may be a wonderful place. What your house is not is the Garden of Eden, and who you're not is God Almighty. So therefore, what does that passage of Scripture really mean? It means this, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he was grown, he will not depart from it unless he does. So that sometimes the immutable laws on which we hope to hang the universe are principles of life. So do bad people do bad things and they ought to get punished for them? Ultimately, they will, apart from the grace of Almighty God. But in the short run, sometimes wicked lawyers win. Sometimes adulterous wives get the ranch. What do we do about it? How do we handle it? The healing for unforgiveness is simple. It's grace. To grant grace to life, to grant grace to those who have sinned against us, to grant grace to ourselves, and to overwhelm the legalism with grace. So Devin said to me, that's all well and good, but he said, how do I forgive that? How can I forgive? He said, that is unforgivable to marry a man, cheat on him, and then steal his ranch. That's unforgivable. I didn't argue with him. I said, you're right. It's unforgivable. He said, then what do I do? I said, you let the power of Jesus flow through you. What Jesus specializes in is forgiving the unforgivable. So when you can allow the forgiving power of Christ to flow through you to forgive the unforgivable, it doesn't change things for the adulterous wife. It doesn't ease the path of eternal judgment for a wicked lawyer. Who it heals is Devon. When he began to see that, and over the next few sessions, as he worked toward forgiveness, Devon began to find the courage to be healed. Forgiveness, now listen to this, is very important. Forgiveness, when you forgive people who have done unforgivable things to you or to others, when you forgive them, it doesn't change anything for them. Sometimes people are afraid to forgive because they're afraid it will let the other person off the hook. You don't have that power. You don't have the authority to let the other person off the hook. Only God does that. Who it lets off the hook is you. Forgiveness, grace, is the therapy that heals the toxin of unforgiveness and tears down the throne of legalism. It may be that something that happened to you is absolutely unforgivable. When Jesus hung on the cross, he forgave the people that had killed him. I can't think of a more unforgivable sin than to kill the Son of God, the Word of God, 
hang him on a cross, nail him up, stab him with a spear. That is unforgivable. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When you say, say it right now, Father, I ask that the forgiveness of Jesus flow into me, through me, out from me, and to those who have wounded me. When you find the courage to pray that prayer, your healing is on the way. Thank you for joining me today for the Leader's Notebook. I pray that God will give you courage and healing will be yours. Stay tuned now. I want you to get this book and I want you to get it for people that need to read it. God bless you. To order a copy of Courage to be Healed for yourself or someone you love, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter the promo code COURAGE for 30% off. To order by the case, please call us at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.